Welcome to Axios Church Online. We're so excited you had joined us here on our online campus. We hope this message encouraged you and uplifts you throughout your week. Enjoy this message. Yeah, it, it was funny. I looked in his day, like, you know, we, we had a name for him. It was all in love. We had a redneck youth pastor from Auburndale, and so he had no, like, PC in him, no political correctness whatsoever. And so Eric was literally our ethnicity in the church. And, and so it was, it was quite funny, um, and, and it was amazing. So as I took over that youth ministry, he says I was his youth pastor, but he was, he was out of school at that point. And so, like, Eric was my right-hand man. Like, he, was, he basically did this, but on a youth level for a big church, and, and we had a good time. I can remember times, like, ha- having him hang from scaffolding and 20-foot ceilings, like, hooking up lights, and we're like literally like fire code problems all over the place and and I would drag Eric into all that. But Eric was my um my worship pastor for a little while. And if you don't know, Eric had a rock band at one point. The Eric Oliveras band. And they sung like rock music. So um I, I told him I said I said, hey I want you to open up service with a Foo Fighters song one time. So imagine imagine your Puerto Rican pastor leading a bunch of white kids in skinny jeans playing Foo Fighters. So it was something else. We did some wild stuff and had a, had a good time. And, uh, and so, hey, as I sit here this morning and, like, watch you worship, it's beautiful. It is so absolutely beautiful. I, I'm going to admit something. I'm, I'm used to talking to a bunch of white people. And so this is a true blessing to me to get to, to, get to share God's word in just a, the beautifulness of what heaven is going to look like. And so this is just a, 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 a real joy for me. It's a real joy for me to get to share in like a spirit-filled church. Are you guys spirit-filled? I'm, I'm used to like a bunch of quiet people. I, I got a feeling like that's not what this is going to be like, right? Okay. So we're going to have a good time, right? Okay, I want you to have fun. Um, I work at Southeastern University, and, and um, I, I like to go to our jazz concerts, and our jazz, the guy that leads the jazz concerts is a young guy, and he gets up, and like everybody's all stoic and quiet, and he gets up, and he's like, no, 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 we're having a party. Like, I want you hooping, I want you hollering, I want you, I want you, to, jet, you know, to jam with us, I want you to have a good time. That's what we're going to do this morning, because... In, in a church that we planted a, a few years ago, that one of our core values was we want to have fun. Um, because we believe that God's word encourages us to have fun in this life and in this world. And so I, I believe our guards are down when we're having fun. Our, our hearts are open when we're having fun. Um, we enjoy each other's company more when we're having fun. So we're going to have a good time in this, okay? Um, how many of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take a little bit of a some liberty here in, in what I've got in my notes, because I just, I feel like Eric, Eric hit it on the nail on the head. He said, God's spirit's here. Like he's wanting to do something in our hearts and our lives this morning. So I think we should pay attention to that. I think we should be open to that. Um, I think we should be receptive to that because it's only through the Holy Spirit moving and changing our lives that true change happens. And, and I know that because I tried for years in my own life to like Better help and self help and you know do all read all the books and do all the things. None of that makes any kind of lasting change. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, us being submissive and obedient to Him, that true change happens. Um, how many of you guys in the room like enjoy sports? Like you know, I, I, 
Yankees fans, everybody raises their hands. All right. I got a question. Is there, is there, are there any Puerto Ricans that are not Yankees fans? Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay. All right. All right, so we like athletes. Like, we've proven it in America, right? Like, we spend millions and millions of dollars on, like, our, our, our guys, like, our, our girls. Like, the, the, you know, all the franchises and all the sports are extremely rich because we enjoy it and we love it. How many of you are runners? Like, you enjoy running? Okay, all right. I, I thought, I was, I was hoping there was some crazies like me. Like, I've, I've run for a long time. Like, I started running when I was probably 18, because, I mean, look at me. I'm not going to be like basketball, right? I'm not going to be playing football. Um, I don't even know what lacrosse is. I, I don't, I really, I literally don't know what it is. Like, I don't, you know, there's like a lot of sports I'm not going to play, so I could run. And so I started running when I was younger. And, okay, I know I look like I'm 30, but I'm 50, so. <laughs> so I've been running for a long time, for a long time. And you're like, no, you don't look like you're 30. So just let me, let me believe it, okay? Just let me believe it. Well, I like to run, and I've been training for a marathon recently. Like, I don't know why I did this. For, like, something broke in my brain and said, hey, I want to run a marathon at the end of July. And it's out west. It's in Seattle, which is not that big of a deal. But, like, my, I, my thought process in this is where, and why I went crazy is, like, that means I've got to train in Florida through the middle of the summer. I'm, I'm now realizing that was a really dumb, dumb, dumb idea. Because most of these people that are out west, they're training out west. You know, they got good weather, low humidity, they're, they're fine. You know, I'm out here, you know, you're like driving in the car with your air conditioner on 58, you know, still sweating, and I'm the idiot that's driving, you know, running down the sidewalk, you know, about to die. Well, in this training, it's been tough, and it's been hard, and there's been a lot of a lot of stuff I've been going through in my own life and just kind of thinking about God and faith. And as I run down the sidewalk and I put in the miles, and then Eric calls and asks me, Pastor Eric calls and asks me to, to speak this morning. And, and I've been out of the pulpit for a little while, so I'm like, well, what am I going to talk about? Well, here's, here's my niche. I just share about what's going on in my own life. Like, like at, when I pastor to church, a lot of times I'm preaching about things that God's doing in my own heart and in my own life and the things that I'm going through and the things that God's working me through and helping me with and helping me see and helping me learn. So this morning, this message is my message, preaching it to myself, and you just get to be part of it. Is that all right? Is that good? Okay. So I'm going to relate this to my training that I've been going through for this marathon and the way that I want to look at this with athletes is, like, athletes are something special, right? Like, a professional athlete operates on a different level. Like, you know, I've, I played baseball all through my, you know, kid years and up until, you know, junior high and high school. And, like, every parent that's out there, and you might be one of these parents, thinks your kid is going to be the next day Derek Jeter, right? Like, they're dressing them like they're going to be Derek Jeter, they're spending the money on batting practice like they're going to be Derek Jeter. They, they get them the glove that Derek Jeter had. But the reality is, is most kids are not going to be the next Derek Jeter. Most kids are not going to be the next Michael Jordan. That's my guy. I'm sorry. I'm an old guy. He, yeah, there's no, there's no comparison with Michael Jordan and LeBron. I mean, we can talk about that later. We can talk about that later. But I just lost some of you, didn't I? 
I mean, they operate on a different level. They got a different physicality. They got a different mindset. They, they train different. They, they put in the work differently. Like, they just are a different breed of people. There's just something about them that's not like a normal person. You know, they, they, they operate on a different level. And that's the reason why in these professional levels, it's a percentage of a percentage of the ones that actually make it into that. And then the ones that do, they're just different. And so I truly believe as followers of Jesus, as those of us that have said, my life is committed to Jesus, I think we are called to, to think about our faith walk the same way that a professional athlete thinks about their sport. See, when I read scripture, especially scripture in the New Testament, where it's challenging us as new believers, where when I read the scripture and the letters to the church, I don't see a faith that's passive. Like, I don't see a faith that where we're not engaged and we're not involved and the where it, a faith that doesn't call us to something. I, I see us, a faith, it's, it's a living out of that faith. I see it's something that's active. I see it's something that, that, that calls us to something more. It calls us to something different. It, it doesn't allow for passivity in our lives. It doesn't allow us to just kind of show up at church, clock in and clock out at the end of the day, and then go home and live our lives the same that we have always lived. I, call, I see it calling us to something more. I see our faith as something that should be invested in, I mean, even more so than an athlete is going to invest in their game, in their strength, or in their mental performance. I've been listening to a, a podcast in the mornings that kind of get me pumped up for the day, and it's about mental performance. And this guy works with a lot of top-level athletes, and it's just a, a quick little mental performance thing for the morning. And it's amazing how much investment athletes put in everything. I mean, the amount of hours that they work out, the amount of time that they spend just getting their head in the game and in the right place, the amount of just money that they will spend on coaches for everything, for every little piece of their game. They're spending and they're investing to make things better. But I see sometimes, and this is not, this is not like I said, this is a gripe for me, not for you. But I see sometimes we don't invest in our faith like we should. I mean, I just kind of sometimes think it's just going to happen, right? I, I like to play golf. And, and one day I was complaining to my buddy that I play golf with, like, why did I just, you know, mess up that shot so badly? And he turns to me, and it was just the funniest thing. He turns to me, and he's like, why would you think it would be any different? And I'm like, well, thanks, bud. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you play maybe like once every three or four weeks or at that time maybe even less. And he's like, and you come out here and you think you're going to hit the, a golf shot like Tiger Woods. He's like, you're not investing in your game. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's true. But I did just hit that ball in the water, so we have a problem. But I think the same thing, like we go home and we struggle with the same stuff over and over again. We have the same battles in our life over and over again. We don't see the growth like we would hope that we would see in our lives. You know, even though maybe we attend church pretty regularly. And then I would ask you or I would, I want somebody to ask me, like, if that's what I'm putting into it, why would I expect anything different? I mean, why? If my golf game is subpar and it's not that great and I'm not real consistent, I mean, it just means I'm not putting the work in to make that game any better. I think the same thing happens in our life, in our faith, in our growing towards Christ. If we're not putting in the effort, if we're not putting in the investment into that, 
why are we not, you know, we're going to see the same thing. We're going to see the same struggles. We're going to see the same battles. We're going to see the same thing occurring over and over again until we put in the time and the investment and the work that God's calling us to. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to dig into scripture just a little bit because I think the Apostle Paul has something to say toward this. And I titled this this morning, um, what did I title this this morning? Run to win. (laughs) Because our faith is a run. It's it's a marathon in essence. It's not a little short 5K where we can go out as hard as we want and we can try to expend and, and go as fast as we want in the shortest amount of time possible. It's a marathon. Like We are here for the long run. I like to say the the term often that I'm here to play the long game. That's the way I look at things at work is like we got lots of projects that happen very quickly coming at us 100 miles an hour. But I say, look, we got to back up and we got to say, what's the long game? And that's our life, right? Like, what's the long game? I'm, I'm looking at this beautiful couple down here with this little bitty baby. You guys are in the long game. I've got a 19 year old. And one about to be 18, and so like I feel like I'm playing the short game at this point. But it is all about the long game in everything that we do. In our walk with Jesus, we've got to think about what's the long game. And that's how these writers of Scripture looked at things. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I just want to set this up so that you have some context for it. Paul is telling the Corinthian church. Now, if you don't know Scripture, just to kind of get you up to speed real quick, this letter was a specific letter to a specific church in a specific time answering a bunch of questions and issues and problems that was going on in that church. But here's what's beautiful about it. It has lasting implications. The things that Paul talked about to this church wasn't just for them, but it's also for us. We can glean some things from the knowledge that he was telling these people, from the wisdom he was sharing with them, from the life principles that he was pouring into that church for their issues we can glean wisdom out of that. In the beginning of this chapter, Paul is he's telling the church that he's given up his own rights. Our, our worship led up perfectly for this chapter. He's telling them, look, I've given up my rights as who I am. I'm giving up my rights as, as my, my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations for my own life. He said, I've laid those down for the sake of the gospel. And he's like, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just letting you know where my position is at. He's saying, this is who I am, and this is what I'm doing, and I'm doing it for the cause of Christ. And so he's setting that up. Then at the end of the chapter, he turns his dialogue to the audience. He turns it on to them. The beginning of the chapter, he's talking about himself and his mission and what he's doing and why he's doing it. And then he turns it kind of to the people. And when he does that, he calls them to something greater. He calls them to something greater than just showing up at their church. He calls them to something greater than just getting a a weekly feel-good message and getting a little shot and then kind of going out and doing their own thing. He calls them to something greater than living life on their own terms. In fact, he calls them to do what he's done, to give up their rights for the sake of the gospel. Now, let's, let's focus in on verses 24 through 27. Eric, you said I had an hour and a half, right? Okay, just making sure. Just kidding. I won't go more than an hour. I'm just, I'm just joking. All right, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. If you got it, say amen. All right. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? 
So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose. Say with purpose. With purpose. In every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline. Say discipline. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. See, Paul uses the work and training of an athlete, something the Corinthian church understood, because they had like these Olympic-like games that would happen every year in their area, kind of right there by the Corinthian church. So they understood this. It was a big deal. It would be like, you know, in your town, the Super Bowl happens in your town every year. And so they were aware of it. In these games, there was like, they would have like running, they would have fighting, they would have like music type stuff. I mean, it was almost like the Super Bowl and The Voice mixed together. That'd be a pretty interesting show, wouldn't it? Like MMA and The Voice, like all together. They had to sing and then like beat each other up and then try to run away. I mean, so they had these games going on, and so they, you know, I love how Scripture relates to our everyday life. If it doesn't relate to our everyday life, then it becomes irrelevant, right? But Scripture is so relevant to the everyday struggles, the everyday things, the everyday problems, the everyday joys and celebrations. All of that Scripture is relevant to us in every day and every way. I can relate to what Paul's saying because of my training. Has anyone ever run a marathon? Okay. You have. Nice. Okay. They're hard. Not just the race itself, but the training that leads up to it. It's literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of just running down a sidewalk. It's hard. It's tough. It's lonely. And some of this relates directly to that type of training. And like I said, I've been struggling in this. And so I've learned a lot over the last few weeks and months of doing this. And I kept coming back to 1 Corinthians. Every time I would start to struggle, I would come back to these verses for some reason. I want to read this one more time before we kind of dive into it. It says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. Now, in our Christian life, that's not how this looks. It's not that Pastor Eric's going to get the prize because he's the lead pastor. It's, he's just using this as an analogy up against this, and he says, look, when, when someone signs up for these races, they're, they're doing it to win. Now, I have no like, reservations at all, of, or uh, like, thoughts or expectations at all of winning this race. I am slow, and I'm okay with that. I'm looking to win against myself. Like, how did I do the last time? How did I do the, you know, the whole 1% better every day kind of thing? And so, so I'm not looking to win, and that's not what Paul's saying is like somebody in here is going to win and somebody's going to lose. He's just saying there's a mindset that these people get when they sign up for these things. And I think the same is true when we sign up for, to be a, a follower of Christ. It, it, we can't just like, oh, well, I'm now a believer. Whatever happens, happens. I mean, we got to go into it with that mindset of a winner. we got to go into it with that mindset of, I'm going to run this race. 1% better every day, not just in my, you know, my work or my marriage or all these things, but 1% better every day in my walk with Christ. What if we took that mindset? What if this, on Sunday mornings, was a training ground for what was going to happen the rest of the week? I mean, it would be amazing how your week works. 
It'd be amazing how you react to the things in this next week. It'd be amazing the conversations and how they change this next week if today was a training ground. Not just a shot in the arm of a B12 to make you feel better for a couple days. Because that's what I see. I see on Sundays we come in, and then by Tuesday it's starting to wear off. Why do you think we have Wednesday night church? <laughs> we got to get another shot of B12 and get to Thursday and Friday, and then we're dragging by the time we get here on Sunday. That's not what it has to look like. Man, it can be look like we are transformed and changed, and on Thursday, man, we're ready to have that conversation with that person at work because they're struggling and they're battling, and you know it's because they've just got sin in their life. I mean, and you're not calling them out to judge them, but you're like, hey, there can be a different way. We don't have to live defeated. We don't have to live beat up. We don't have to live beat down. We're, we're overcomers. We're conquerors. Anything is possible. I mean, these promises that God gives us in Scripture, that's how we should be living. So he says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that fades away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So I gleaned some points from this I want to share with you this morning. This is what I want to kind of finish up with is the first one is start your pace or set your pace. So you got to set your pace. A runner has to set a pace. A runner has to set a pace that's realistic for the distance that they want to run. My son, uh, my oldest son, when he was in sixth grade, he wanted to run cross country. And he was kind of tall and lanky, and so I thought, well, this would be a good sport for him. So he goes out, very first track meet, or very first practice, actually, he goes out, and he goes as hard as he can. I mean, right out of the gate, he's just going as fast as he can. And I told him, dude, you need to set a pace. Well, his pace was very fast. His pace was blowing everybody else away. And so he got one lap, and he was doing pretty good. He got around second lap. They were going to go four laps around the track. Second and a half lap, he's coming around. He's starting to slow down a little bit. By the time he got to the third lap, he was getting passed by people. And he, he, had, he had winded it out. He couldn't do it. He couldn't maintain the pace that he had tried to set for himself. And so we have to set a pace not even just in running, but in our faith walk, we have to set a pace that's realistic for our lives. Like this go, go, go mentality that we have in America, it's not realistic. We can't keep that up. It, it, and I see a lot of folks that they're, they're, they're deconstructing their faith or they're walking away from their faith or they're leaving things behind, but then you kind of reverse things back and you look back in their life and it was just this go, 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 go. The pace was not realistic. It, and let me, can I step on some toes for a second? And this is me. I'm stepping on my own toes, remember? And you're just getting to, to, to in, you're being included in this. Sometimes the work we do in church, we equate that to our growth in our faith. And, and we can't do that. Like the amount of service that you put into the church does not equate to how God is growing you as an individual. And that burns us out. Like every single person that I've ever met that came to me and they were, oh, I just got burnt out at the church. And then you look back and it was like they volunteered for everything, every time. And, and then you look in their personal lives and there was no devotion. There was no prayer. There was no 
scripture that was being poured in their lives. There was no discipleship that was happening. It was just serve, 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 serve. And we can't equate that to our faith growth. Now, on the other hand, we have that problem in church because, and this isn't your church, everybody doesn't serve. And so then it leaves it for a handful of people to do all the work, and then it's this cycle that happens. And so I would say God, the way God designed the church, and, and Pastor Eric didn't like ask me to say this, it's just this is the reality of it, is if we all chipped in, and we all served, and we all did our part and used our gifts and used our talents in a way that God's designed the church to operate, then the few wouldn't have to do it. But we can't equate go, go, go with growth. We have to set a pace. We have to understand that that pace has to be realistic. That pace has to carry us for the long haul. Secondly, we have to focus. Well, let me back up just a second. So we use sometimes the amount of service that we do in the church as a gauge for how well we're growing. Listen, there's only one way to measure how well you're growing. Paul talks about it in Galatians. He talks to that church there, and he says, look, the, the, the Spirit is going to produce fruit in your life. And when that fruit is produced in your life, you know that the Spirit of God is moving and growing you and changing you and transforming you more into the image of Christ. And so I would say your growth doesn't equate to how much you show up on the planning center schedule but it should equate to how much love is in your heart, how much joy is in your life, how much peace, how much patience, how much kindness, how much goodness is produced, how much faithfulness there is, how much gentleness you have, and how much self-control there is. That is the true measure of whether Christ is growing you into who he needs you to be. And when you see those things and you can self-evaluate and you can see that that's taking place in your life, you know that you're on the right pace. You know that you're in it for the long haul. You know that you're playing the long game and you can run the whole marathon. The second thing that we need to do or that I can pull from these verses that needs to happen in our life is we need to focus. You know, one thing that I found when I'm running is if I can focus on a point up ahead, it becomes easier to run the steps in between where I'm at and where I want to go. But I have to focus up ahead. A lot of times when I get tired... I kind of start focusing right down in front of me. And all I can see is about three or four feet in front of me. And I begin to think, oh, man, I got a lot, of, a lot of miles left. Oh, my gosh, it's hot out here. My mind starts racing. I start thinking about all the negatives. I start thinking about all the things I'm not doing right. I start thinking about, oh, my, my foot's hurting. My, my, my leg's hurting. My arm's hurting. Everything's hurting at this point. But when I look ahead and I focus up maybe... I don't know, a hundred yards ahead of myself, before I know it, I've reached a hundred more yards. And then I focus another hundred yards ahead and I'm, I begin to look around. I begin to see things going on around me. I begin to see other people. I begin to see the beautiful dogs that I see on the running trail and I stop and I pet them. I mean, you got to pet a dog when you see one, right? You know, this is especially true when the miles get long and I get tired. I need to focus on where I want to be, not where I'm at. Paul shared something similar with this to his Philippian readers. He said, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Say one thing. One thing. 
See, Paul had a big mission. He was to preach the gospel to all the Gentiles. Like, that's a big mission. He had a large expanse of geography to to do this in. Like, he was planting churches in places where Christians had never even been before. Like, his mission was so big. But he says, I'm focusing on how many things? One thing. He was focused on one thing, even though his mission was massive. He says, I'm focused on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I think we drag around the past so much. Like we, a lot of times, will wear it as like a t-shirt. Like, here's my past, right here. Big letters right here on my shirt, and I'm going to carry it around, and I'm going to show it to everybody. I'm going to remind everybody what my past looked like. I'm going to re- remind everybody what this was in my past, and this is, this is the thing, and I'm, I'm celebrating it. But Paul says, I'm putting the past behind me. See, when I read about the past in Scripture, it's always about what God's done in the past, not what I did in the past. I mean, sometimes it's good to be reminded of that, that I'm not who I was, but we don't need to focus on it. We don't need to drag it around and show it to everybody, remind everybody about it. We need to leave it in the past. Every single time in the Old Testament they bring up the past, it's, hey, remember what God did here? Remember what God did then? Remember what, okay, if he did that then, then that means he's going to do it now, and that means he's going to continue to do it. But it's never about me in the past. And so he says, I'm leaving the past where it belongs in the past. And he says, I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. He said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So we need to focus. We need to focus ahead. We need to not focus on the problems, not focus on the trials, not focus on other people. You know, that's one of my things in running is I I focus on other people. I start reading articles, and I found out that Oprah ran a stinking marathon in just over four hours. Look at me and look at Oprah. And I ran my first marathon in five hours. I'm like, what is wrong with me? But then I think, well, good for her. I'm not Oprah. I don't have a team of like 30 people around me getting me to run a marathon. But if we focus on other people, instead of our goal that's ahead, we start playing the comparison game. And we can't do that. My faith walk is... I mean, I can't compare my faith walk to Pastor Eric's faith walk. I can't compare my faith walk even to my wife's faith walk. We can hold each other up. We can encourage each other. We can spur each other on to good works. But I can't say I'm better than you or worse than you. I'm just where God needs. I hope that I'm where God needs me to be. So that's what we need to focus on. Third thing I want to point out is not everyone's going to come along. Not everyone is going to come along. You know, I've come to realize, I've lived long enough and I've walked this long enough that not everyone is going to be as passionate about who God is making me as I am. And that's okay. You know, there's going to be times that friends and family won't be willing to go on this faith journey with you. They, They might not even celebrate it. I mean, they might not even be as excited as you are about the changes that God's making in your life. They might not, you know, you might have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for them. And they just might continue to just sit in who they are. That doesn't mean you stop praying, but it also doesn't mean you stop forging ahead. 
means you got to keep your eyes focused on who God wants you to be. You know, sometimes people just want to stay back and not grow. I mean, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but we often let this trip us up. We often let this thing right here trip us up and not be developed into who God wants us to be because maybe somebody that we want to come along with us isn't coming. You know, this is where I see folks make excuses of not growing and and frankly, we have to just stop letting other people determine the level of how far we can go in our growth with Christ. Not everyone's going to come along, and that's okay. We have to be okay with that. Now, on the contrary, and this seems like it, it might be the complete opposite, but we need a team. In this journey, in this race, we got to have a team. Now, I don't necessarily have like a team. I'm not like... Team Neil behind me, you know, some like car driving along and people throwing water or gels at me or something. But like I have a team, like my wife's my team, my kids are my team because they're the one that's sacrificing the hours that I'm spending away from them. And so whether we know it or not, we have a team of people around us. So while not everyone's going to come along with you, you do still need a team. And here's the great thing in God's wisdom. I mean, in his ultimate wisdom, he surrounded his kids with a team. It's called the church. We're not called to do this solo. Like, not everyone's going to come along with us, but we're not called to be solo believers of Christ. We're called to do it in community. We're called to do it together. I mean, the gorgeous thing about it is we have local churches that we can gather in and and we can come together and we can worship together, we can grow together, we can fall together, we can pick each other back up together, we can hold each other accountable, we can, we can do all of this together as a team. We see in Acts the, the rise and the impact of God's church. We read in the letters in the New Testament how important the church is to the growth of Christians. And, and Paul writes in in one of his letters, he says, now, these are the gifts that Christ gives to the church. The apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. He says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue till we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Here's what I know in those verses. We can't grow fully mature without the church. It doesn't happen. Like in that equation, there's no me that equates to maturity. It's the church and myself in the church that equates to me being mature in Christ. And so we have to be plugged into the church. Like we have to be on a team. You look at a professional athlete, it's amazing. When I, when I look at a professional golfer, and you watch them on Sundays on the last round of the tournament, they're out there all by themselves, right? Well, they got a caddy, but for the most part, it's them. Every shot is on them. Every decision is on them. It looks like a solo sport, doesn't it? Most of those professional golfers have anywhere between 5 to 15 different team members that helps them get to where they're at on a Sunday afternoon. Even what looks like is a solo athlete is not a solo athlete. 
And that's the same across the board for all of these athletes. They have a team of people that helps them achieve the highest level of athleticism. So why would we think as believers of Christ going against the gates of hell that we can do this by ourselves? We have to have the church. So if you're here this morning and you're like, well, I just popped in this morning and I've been bouncing around from church to church to church. Get plugged into a church. There ain't a perfect one. There's things you're not going to like about every single one of them, but get plugged into one. There's things I don't like about my own, not this family, like my, my extended family, but yet I'm family with them. They're like, well, there's things I don't like about you. This is my beautiful wife over here, Jennifer. She is um, truly, truly my better half. But we have to be in this team called church. Jesus said that he's going to build his church and that the gates of hell won't be able to stand up against it. He didn't say, I'm going to build up Neil and then the gates of hell can't stand up against him. Now, the gates of hell can't stand up against me when I'm plugged into his church. So we got to be plugged into the team. And that team looks like the church. That's a pretty powerful organization in my opinion. Lastly, and I apologize if this word offends anybody, but we have to embrace the suck. I mean, we have to. This is a term that I heard about a year ago, and it comes from the military world. I've heard it attributed to Navy SEAL training, and it's a mandate that the soldiers adopt when it gets so tough, when the going gets so tough, they're ready to quit. If they can adopt the mindset of embracing the suck, it's been scientifically shown that most of them that adopt that mindset can see it through to the end. I don't know if you know anything about Navy SEAL training, but it is the hardest training probably in the world. And it's those that adopt that mindset are the ones that's able to see it through to the end. Now listen to this explanation of this term. Embrace the suck means that while the current situation is not good, you have to accept it and work toward changing it. It's not about being in denial as much as accepting present discomfort for future success. To embrace the suck means to confront things that make you uncomfortable so that you can surmount it. Athletes are able to almost disconnect from their current reality when things get extremely tough. I mean, when the going gets hard, when the clock's running out, they're behind in, the, in score, like they're, they're able to kind of kick into some different mindset. I have a friend that's an ultra marathoner, like 50 miles plus, and he just is able to disconnect in some way. And this disconnect is they're able to embrace the current reality, although it's bad, because they understand what the future reality looks like. The reality for us is that life is hard. There's no promise for anyone that life's not going to be hard. Life is going to be hard. There's no easy way around it. There's no way to get around the hardness of life. If you've lived long enough, and some of you didn't even have to live very long, you've already seen how hard life can be. And I'm not even talking about our own stupid decisions that we make that make life hard. I'm just saying 
Life is tough. I mean, you've got death, pain, heartache, sickness, disappointment. These and more all come along with the good times and the fun. I mean, it's like a combo meal, but they come together. I mean, we have the parties and we have the joy and we have the good times, but it's also on the other hand, on the other side of that coin is the toughness of life. If we can't get around these things, then we need to learn how to embrace them. We realize we can't get around them. There's no easy way out. There's no way to avoid them. So we have to understand how do we embrace them to get through these times. Many of the contributors to Scripture understood this because they had experienced their own tough times. They knew this. They experienced it. They had seen God get them through it, though. And they used them, they used these experiences to write some encouraging words to us. James, brother of Jesus, writes this in James 1, 2 through 4. He says, count it all joy. Say joy. Joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when everything goes absolutely right for you this week. Wait a minute. That's not what he said. That's not what he said, is it? He said, count it all joy, my brothers, when this week goes to crap by Tuesday. He said, count it all joy when this week, when you show up, you get ready to leave for work and your tire's flat, your gas is out of, the the gas tank is empty, you don't have any money to get new gas, and your boss is yelling at you by the time you get there. He says, count it all joy. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And we're going to meet them this week. We might even meet them before the day's over. But he says, count it joy, and not some like, lackadaisical like you know silly kind of well I'm just going to ignore the no he says count it all joy see joy is different than just happiness joy is something down deep inside joy is something that's only developed by our relationship with Jesus Christ I mean that's the truth like like I, there, I there's there's just something different and that's that different level like a different like a professional athlete has a different level like joy is that different level for those of us that are his kids We're able to look at it differently. We're able to think about it differently. We're able to react differently. We're able to see a future and a hope. We're able to focus up ahead and not in what's the moment. We're able to draw into our team, and we're able to call some folks from the church that we're part of because that's our team, and we're able to say, look, the car's out of gas. The tire is flat. I don't have money to put put gas in the tank. Can you help me? Can you do this? Can you come to my aid? That's why we're a team. Romans 12, 12, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Psalm 107, the writer says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The writer of Lamentations, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end and they're new every single day morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And then the great Dr. Luke, he wrote, Jesus telling us that nothing is impossible with God. See, the key to all those verses and what these people found was a life that is lived in submission and obedience to God is able to get through and be an overcomer no matter what situation. 
we're able to embrace the suck, but it's only because we're able to understand the promises are yes and amen in Christ. That he's done it before, he's going to do it again, and he's going to continue to do it. And so when we tap into that mindset and we understand, yes, this is really bad right now, or yes, this is not comfortable right now, we don't have to, un we don't have to live with this being our reality moving forward. And then the last step in all this is to repeat. To just keep doing it. Because if you're like me, I quickly forget most of these things and I go into self-mode trying to figure them all out on my own. I must be continually committed to setting my pace, focusing my eyes ahead, remembering there's going to be times that I'm running solo, intentionally engaging in my church because I don't have to be solo and then remembering that tough times are part of life and that God helps me embrace them. You know, as a runner, I know that I'm not winning any races. But all of us, even though we're not winning, still get a medal. It's kind of interesting. And I have lots of these medals hung on my wall from over the years of running and Growing up, my dad had a trophy case. It was a massive trophy case full of motorcycle racing trophies. But it's interesting because after my dad moved out of that house, all those trophies were just thrown into the garbage. All the medals that hang on my wall, they, I mean, in the end of the day, they don't really mean anything. It's fun to show off and it's fun to get them. But at the end of the day, they don't really matter. What does matter is at the end of my life, having my Heavenly Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that's what all of us should desire. That's the words I want to hear as I run, and as I run to win, and as I run to grow in my faith. So here's where I would leave you today. Here's the question I would leave you with today. As we talk about these things, like where do you need help in your race today? Are you running too fast? Did you go out of the gates too hot? You know, like right now you're feeling burnout, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling tired. Like, do you need to set the appropriate pace for the reality of how long the run is? Are you off focus? Like, like have you, you know, you got this big mission, you got these big goals, you got these things that want to happen in your life and you're trying to focus on all of them. Do you need to just focus ahead on one point? Do you need to forget what's behind and focus ahead to ensure that you're staying healthy? Are there people that's dragging you back because they're not wanting to come along? Do you just need to be okay with not everyone coming along with you? I mean, are you truly plugged into your church? Like, could you call on any single person in this body for help? I mean, this is not a, a large church, so if there's somebody in the room you don't know, spend a few minutes and get to know them. But this is your team. This team right here is the team that's going to help you be successful in your walk with Christ. So engage in them. Be intentional about it. And then lastly, like, are you having trouble with the trials and the tribulations of life? Do you need to change your mindset? Do you need to embrace just the problems and the things that's happening? And when we do that, I think we're going to be the people of God that he's called us to be.
And I think the church is going to be the impact that it needs to be in Lakeland, in the world. Because they need you. Those that are lost out there, they need you to engage in these points. It's literally a matter of life and death. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this body. It's a beautiful body. It's a beautiful group of people that I feel are just tuning into what you want to do, and I feel they're just barely scratching the surface of what they're going to see you do in and through them. So I pray today that they would just be encouraged, that they would be exalted to just kind of engage even more, that they would be more submissive, more obedient to what you are calling them to do. I pray for their homes, their lives, their families. I pray that you would empower them and encourage them. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in them and through them, that they would see the winds, that they would see you working and doing and moving in only the way that you can do. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be present, to be active. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Wow, what a word. What a challenge. Well, I don't know if you've been challenged. I've been challenged. I've been challenged. Let's all stand up. Wasn't that an amazing message? If you'd like to help partner with us to push this mission forward here in Lakeland, Florida, you can go to axioschurch.com, and in the giving tab, you can give a one-time donation or a reoccurring gift. We are so thankful for all of you that have decided to join us this morning. We meet every Sunday, and we can't wait to see you next time. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, turn on your post notifications, make sure you're tuned in to everything that Axios Church has to offer.